One Church podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. And for more information, please visit us on the web at onechurch.net. time of worship and I I love that song and that uh, statement I'm desperate for the touch of heaven and uh, what a wonderful desire God we want your presence because where you're at is heaven and uh, I'm so glad that wherever you're at today that when we enter into the presence of God through worship that we can experience heaven on earth even as Jesus said that the kingdom of heaven is at hand And so I hope that whether you're watching this at home by yourself, whether you're joining us with a group of friends this morning, uh, joining us in a house church, maybe driving down the street, watching this, listening to this, hopefully not watching while you're driving, but listening to this later, I hope that your heart is open to receive from God. And I would love to just pray this morning as we prepare to go to the word of God. And so Father, we thank you, Lord, for your presence that is with us, God. Thank you, Lord, that you said where two or more are gathered, God, there you are in the midst. And so, Father, we thank you today, God, that whether we're joined in person, joined online through technology, Father, thank you that we're joined in faith today, in the spirit. And so, Lord, we just pray that your presence would be with us. I pray, God, that you would open our hearts uh, to hear from you today through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles today, you can grab them and turn with me to the book of Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. As you turn there, I just want to say a special welcome to all of you who are our guests. You're joining us online, uh, maybe for the first time, whether you're here in the Orlando area or beyond. We're so glad that you're with us today. And a special shout out to all of you that are in house church today. We are so glad that even in this season uh, that maybe we're not able to all be together that we don't have to be isolated. And that's really what house church is all about. So uh, shout out to all of you in house church and those of you who are not gathered with house church, I'd love to encourage you to go onto our website, uh, ocparkdistrict.com, click on house church at the top. We'd love to help you find a house church gathering to join in your community. And uh, today I wanna speak to you uh, on something that I believe is one of the most essential aspects of our faith. Uh, If you're taking notes today, I I, want to speak to you a message that I'm calling the practice of neighboring, the practice of neighboring. I believe that how we treat and how we relate to people around us and specifically to our neighbors is one of the most essential aspects of our faith and of our relationship with God. I know that's a big statement to make, but I believe it's true. And, uh, you know, the season that we're in, uh, there's been a lot of conversation about what is essential not just in spiritual life, but in life as a whole, uh, there's been a lot of conversation about what is essential. Uh, is it essential to, for kids to go to school? Is it essential for people to work in the office? Is it essential to go to the gym? Is it essential to go to the beach? And the, you know, the truth is we probably all have different ideas of what is essential and maybe preferences about what we think should be essential. But there's something to the conversation that is clarifying. When we think about what is essential, it has a clarifying effect that kind of clears away some of the clutter of life and brings it down to what matters the most. And here in Matthew chapter 22, we find Jesus having one of those clarifying conversations. He's confronted by the religious people, the scribes and the Pharisees, and they're questioning him about what matters most in relationship 
to God. And the Bible says this in Matthew 22, verse 36, that a teacher, uh, one of the Pharisees came and said, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? The verse before says that he was testing him. And really this was kind of a, a, a loaded question uh, because for Jesus to elevate one of the commandments to the place of greatness uh, in the, the religious people's minds would be to the diminishment of the other part of the law. And so he's testing Jesus, trying to trap Jesus with this question, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus in his infinite wisdom answers so skillfully in verse 37, Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Another version adds to it, and with all your strength. In other words, the greatest commandment is you should love God with everything you are, with all your heart, that's the core of your, your being, your motivations, with your, with your soul, with your mind, uh, your desires, and, and even with your strength or your body. Love God with everything you are. Verse 38, this is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love God with everything you are. That's the greatest commandment. And love your neighbor as yourself. The second commandment. And then Jesus goes on to say this in verse 40. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now, I know when we read that, we just skim over that phrase, the law and the prophets, and we just think that's kind of like Bible-ish talk. We don't really know what it means, but for the, the people that Jesus was speaking to, to the original audience that would read this as well, that, that was a profound statement because for the Jewish people that Jesus was speaking to, their whole life was consumed by following the law. It was the, the law of, that was contained in the Old Testament, which really governed every single aspect of their life. There was laws about uh, 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 governing relationships between people. There was laws about business. There was laws about worship. There was laws about everything pertaining to life. In fact, the Bible records 613 laws. And then the religious people added laws on top of the laws, laws for days in order to just make sure people didn't even come close to breaking the law. The law governed all of life, but more importantly, the law was in their minds, the basis for their right standing with God. If they kept the law, they thought, then I can be in right standing with God. And Jesus clarifies that by bringing all of those 613 plus the add-on commands, and he just boils it down to its essence. The law, he says, is fulfilled in these two things. Love God with all that you are and love your neighbor as yourself. And for the original hearers of this, and for us also, the reality is that we hear that and we go, easy, no problem. Thank you, Jesus. You just simplified my life. 613 commandments, I can't even remember them, let alone follow them. Two, you just made it very easy. Uh, and it's love. I mean, like who can't get on board with loving God and loving other people? And uh, we can think that it's very simple until we try to live it. And maybe you have done that before. Maybe you have, uh, maybe you, you got in an argument with somebody and, and this next day you said, I'm gonna act more loving. 
Uh, I'm going to be a better person. I'm going to act more loving. So you wake up early in the morning, you get your coffee, uh, and, and you are just kind of getting in the, the mindset of love. And for the first 30 minutes or so, you're just doing really good at loving until your family wakes up, right? It's easy to love when you're by yourself. The problem is the family comes in and, and that love begins to be tested. Then you walk out the door headed to work. About the time that you're getting in the car, you see that neighbor boy walk by with his dog and it, he poops in your yard. The, the dog, not the boy, poops in your yard. And you think, God, help me, help me stay loving. I'm loving, I'm loving. And then you see the weird guy down the street that you just think this guy is so weird. He sends shivers down your spine and God's saying, how are you doing it loving? How are you doing it loving? Then as you're driving out of the neighborhood, you see that lady with all of the political signs in, your, in her yard that just drive you crazy. And in your mind, you say, God, that lady is not my neighbor. She is my enemy. I certainly don't have to love her, God. She's the problem with the world. Those people are the problem. And God says, well, yeah, I think I actually did say something about loving your enemy. And the reality is that when we try to act loving, the effect is that we find ourselves falling woefully short. Even if we are able to love those people, God begins to put some things in our heart. He says, remember that conversation you had with your wife, with your husband, with your mom, your dad, you weren't very loving in that. And I even know about the thoughts you think, those thoughts you've had, those aren't loving thoughts. You see, even boiled down to its very essence, the essence of the law in these two commandments are never in order for us to be in right standing before God, but to reveal our true condition in need of a savior. The law that Jesus summarizes is never for us to be able to fulfill it in our own strength, but to reveal our need for a savior. The problem is when we try to act loving, we come to the end of ourselves and the purpose of this command is ultimately that we would throw our hands in the air and we would say, God, I can't act loving. God, I, I, I'm trying my best and I can't, God. I can't even love my wife. I can't even love my husband, my family, let alone my enemy. And God says, yeah, that's, that's exactly right. You can't act loving because you're not loving. That's why I've come. That's why I've come. I came because I am the one who loves those who have offended me. I'm the one who loves those who are different than me. I'm the one who loves those who are my enemies. The Bible says it this way, that God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. The purpose of the law contained in these two commandments isn't for us to justify ourselves before God, but to reveal our true condition, that we are at our very core, not loving people. We're not loving people. We're profoundly selfish. Even in those that we do love, oftentimes it's those who are a lot like me, because the reality is the one person that I do love is I love me. And so it's easy to love people like me. The challenge, and Jesus defines that in the parable of the Good Samaritan, when someone says, Jesus, who is my neighbor? 
And Jesus uses the illustration of the Good Samaritan, a person who demonstrates love to one who is ethnically, spiritually, religiously different than he was. And not only that was in need. You see, the law, the purpose of the law is to bring us to the place where we say, God, I'm not loving, but thank you that you have loved me. You see, this is what the Bible calls grace. Martin Luther, the great theologian, called it the great exchange that God, through Jesus Christ, has taken our old nature, our unloving nature on himself, on the cross, and has in exchange given us his love through Jesus Christ. This is what grace is. And when we hear the gospel and receive the gospel through faith, we believe it. God, I'm a sinner, but thank you that you love me. Thank you, you've died for me. There is a transformational effect on our hearts. It's the, the grace effect. When we recognize that we weren't, that, that God loved us when we weren't lovable, there is a softening effect on our hearts. The Bible says it this way, he who has been forgiven little loves little. In other words, when you recognize that God has loved you, even though he knows everything about you, he knows the things about you that you feel. If, if they knew, if my neighbors knew, even if my family knew these things about me, how could they love me? But God knows all of those things and loves you in spite of those things, not because of your goodness, but because of his goodness. There's a transformational effect on our hearts. And so the, the, the truth is that when we have a lack of love for others, it's always a, a result of a lack of understanding God's love for us. When we don't love our neighbors who are different than us, it only proves that we don't fully understand that God loves us. It's the, the grace effect that begins to soften our hearts and produce a transformation in our lives. You see, you can never in your own strength just act loving. But when the grace of God comes into your heart through faith in Jesus Christ, it will produce love and love will produce action. That's why the Bible says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 6, it says, it's, it's not the law that matters, but it's faith working through love is what matters. Notice that faith working, producing love. Faith will manifest in loving action. You see, our love is not determined by, or our right standing with God is not demonstrated by what we say about God, it's demonstrated by how we love one another, which is demonstrated through loving actions. See, oftentimes we think that grace is limited to the forgiveness of our sins, that, that it is grace that, that causes us to be accepted before God, and that is true. But grace is not just the door through which we enter into salvation. Grace is the oxygen we breathe in salvation. The life of faith in Jesus, the life of following Jesus is not just started by faith. It is uh, by grace. It is started by grace. It is sustained by grace and it is finished by grace. It is finished by grace. You see, everything that we do, is the result of our understanding of God's grace in us. 
towards us. That's why I love what Dallas Willard said when he said that grace is not opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. Because we cannot earn God's love, but when we've received God's love, it will produce loving action towards others. And I believe in this time, even as so many of the things that we have thought are essential to our faith, so many of the practices that, that we have emphasized, and I'm not saying that those things are not important, but in the world where people and even followers of Jesus are demanding their rights and demanding what is essential, perhaps some of the things that we view as essential, Jesus would go, doesn't make my list. I'm not saying it's not important, but it's not essential. What is essential? Loving God with all of our hearts and loving our neighbor as ourselves. And so I want to give you three very practical things that will never earn your right standing before God, will never make you more righteous or loved in the eyes of God, but three very practical things that when you recognize how loved you are by God, how accepted you are by God, how, uh, how righteous you are before God, this will manifest, this will be the outcome, the fruit of that righteousness. As I said before, it's the practice of neighboring. And I wanna give you three very practical things that we can do, not to earn our right standing before God, but to demonstrate the love of God towards our neighbors, the practice of neighboring. What if 2020, was the year when the church moved into the neighborhood. Rather than trying to get our neighbors to all come to church, nothing wrong with that, but what if we said, you know what, this is the year when maybe we can't go to church, but we're gonna be the church in our community. Here's three very practical things that I believe we can do to love our neighbors in this season of COVID. Number one is this, that we need to know our neighbors. In order to love your neighbor, you've got to know your neighbor. You see, Love is not just kind of a theological um, idea, it's a practical expression. It, it is demonstrated in our actions. The Bible says the reputation Jesus had was that he was the friend of sinners. That's not just some theological title, he actually was friends with people. He, he had friendships with people that were far from God, that were considered by the religious people the, the least likely to be in the kingdom of God. But Jesus was friends with them. I love the story of Zacchaeus when Jesus sees him in the tree and says, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house. The Bible says they sat around the table and, and, and the scripture doesn't record what the conversation was. It doesn't record how was the gospel presented in that moment. But we know at some point during the conversation, the grace effect happened in the life of Zacchaeus. And before the dinner is over, he stands up and he says, I'm selling and giving away half of what I have. Now, if I'm wronged anybody, I'm going to restore it fourfold. What was that? It was the grace of God, the love of God that was producing the grace effect in his life. He became loving to other people. Why? Because Jesus loved him. Not at a distance, not just theologically, but practically. He was his friend. Jesus was friendly to Zacchaeus. And I would say, very practically, one of the most important things that we can do as followers of Jesus, to let his love shine in the world is simply to be friendly to people. 
We can have all the good theology in the world, but if we can't act loving to people, and that is in very practical ways, then we're not demonstrating the love of God in the world. Uh, I know that eating together is one of the greatest demonstrations of that. Around the table, psychologists even tell us there's something that happens when we sit at the table with other people. There's a bonding that happens that really demonstrates the love of God bonding with people who are far from him through Jesus. But I I know in this moment that we're in, eating together may be limited. I, I know through social distancing and all of the dynamics of the moment that we're in, but one of the really practical things that we can do is something that we're probably already doing. That is just walking in our neighborhoods. One of the best ways to get to know your neighbors so that you can love your neighbors is by being present, just walking in your neighborhood. And I think this is a great opportunity because I know many of us uh, in recent months have been walking a lot more than we, than we have in the past. And that's a great way just to connect with people. I wanna encourage you as you're walking around your neighborhood, be intentional to connect with people, love people. You may say, well, I'm, I, I'm not really that outgoing. Well, then just say, Jesus, thank you that you love me when I was your enemy. Thank you, Jesus, that when I was in need, you didn't turn your eyes away from me, but you looked at me. You came after me. You demonstrated your love towards me. Let the grace of God have a transforming effect on your heart until it begins to manifest in love to other people. And practically, as you meet people, begin to get to know their names. Learning a person's name is, uh, I've heard it said that a person's name is the sweetest sound in any language. Why? Because to know a person's name shows that they matter. And so I want to encourage you to know people as you walk around. Take time to be intentional, to connect with people. There was a great book written a number of years ago by a Japanese theologian that was called The Three Mile an Hour God. And the whole thought behind it or the thesis behind it is that in order to love like God, we have to slow down enough to build relationships. The average person walks at three miles an hour and perhaps that's the very pace that we need to adopt in order to demonstrate the pace of grace. Not hurrying, but valuing people enough to slow down. So number one, we need to know our neighbors. Number two, if we wanna demonstrate the love of God in our neighborhoods, number two, we need to pray for our neighbors. Pray for our neighbors. You see, your neighborhood is contested territory. I know we're coming into election time and that is an ever-present reality in all of our worlds. And that's certainly something that we need to be aware of and we're gonna be talking about in the weeks and months to come. But I believe even more than a political contest, there is a spiritual contest happening for our neighborhoods. I know oftentimes when we think about spiritual warfare, we we think of, you know, maybe a little devil in red tights with a pitchfork. And uh, if anything, I think the enemy wants to convince us or make us think that, that there is not an enemy or maybe create some idea that certainly couldn't be the reality in our neighborhood, but the reality is that there is darkness at work in our world. There is pain, there is suffering, and the Bible says that the the enemy comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And even in the most beautiful of neighborhoods, the reality is when the door of those homes close, that there is oftentimes pain, there is oftentimes suffering, and there is a contest happening for the soul 
of your neighbors. And, and the Bible says this, that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. It's not a Republican and Democrat issue that is the ultimate issue in our world. It's a light and darkness issue. I love what the Bible says in Acts chapter 17 of Paul as he walked around Athens, a great metropolitan city, diverse city, filled with culture. The Bible says in Acts 17 verse 16 that as he walked around the city, it says that his spirit was provoked within him when he saw the city was given over to idols. In other words, as Paul was walking around the city, he was actually waiting for his colleagues to arrive in the city, burning some time, walking around the city. And the Bible says that he was provoked in his spirit. In other words, there was something that happened, not just on a physical level, but on a spiritual level. He began to see the spiritual reality that was operating behind the physical world. And when we pray for our neighbors, we begin to come into alignment and agreement with God's work in our neighborhood. You see, here's the good news. God's already at work in your neighborhood. The fact that you're there is proof that God is at work. The Bible says that God determines the times and places that we live. The fact that you're there shows God's already at work. And so the pressure's not on you to come up with some evangelistic outreach. You just walk around and begin to pray for the people in the houses prayer walk in your neighborhood and God will begin to show you spiritual things. You'll begin to pray in a way that maybe you didn't even know you felt that passionate about people. I know my wife and I, when we moved into our neighborhood, we were intentional to begin to build relationships. We had recognized in the past that oftentimes we were so busy with church work that we forgot to love our neighbors, the very thing that Jesus commands us to do. And so we said, we've got to be intentional about building relationships with our neighbors. And we went around and met our neighbors. We wrote down their names and Evernote on our phones so that we could remember their names. And as we walked around the neighborhood, we began to pray for them. We began to pray for John in this house and Linda in that house, begin to pray God's blessing over them. And now as we've been in that neighborhood for eight years, it's incredible the effects that we have seen, the fruit that has come. We've seen our neighbors, several of our neighbors come to Christ. I've had the privilege of getting to baptize people. People actually love our neighborhood now. They love to live in our neighborhood. And I don't think it's just happenstance. I don't think it's just the real estate market. I think it's because we've been sowing spiritual seed in our neighborhood. And and I don't say that to pat myself on the back. I say that because I recognized I had not been doing that. I've been so busy with church, church work, I forgot about God's work. And so you need to begin to pray for your neighbors. The third thing I want you to see is that you need to begin, I need to begin, we need to begin to serve our neighbors. If we love our neighbors, we can't just love in in word, we have to love in action. And here's what will happen. As you begin to know your neighbors, you'll begin to find out what their needs are. You don't have to come up with some program of serving in your neighborhood. You just make it personal. Get to know them, get to find out what they need. As you begin to pray for them, you'll find God's heart for them. And when their need and God's heart meet, you will begin to meet their needs. You'll begin to serve your neighbors. The Bible says this, that Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. Serving, another way of saying it is ministry. We believe that every single person is called to ministry. 
That's one of the great things that we're discovering in this season that we're in. Although there's challenges and although there's difficulties that we want to navigate as we move forward, but one of the great things is we're seeing that every person is a minister. Every house can be a sanctuary. Why? Because God is not limited to a place. He dwells in us. When you move in the neighborhood, Jesus is coming into the neighborhood. The kingdom of God is in the neighborhood. So how do you do that? Practically, what does that look like? Well, again, there's limitations in the season that we're in. This probably isn't the moment to bake cookies and bring it to your neighbors, but God will give you insight. God will give you, there's a wonderful verse in the Bible that says God gives witty inventions. He gives creative ideas. If we've seen anything in this season of COVID, one thing that we've seen is the release of creativity. Who knows what creative ideas God may give you of how to love your neighborhood. Maybe it's just checking on some of the elderly that don't have family and aren't digitally connected. Maybe it's finding some people that need help in their yard. A few weeks ago, uh, Jennifer pointed out to me that one of our neighbors had a big limb that fell and I got my boys, my sons, I grabbed a couple of saws from our house and we went over. We didn't have a tree service, but there was a need and we loved them. So we just went over and helped and got a little sweat and exercise while we did it. It was good for everybody, but there's all kinds of things. Maybe there's families in your neighborhood with kids and the parents are just going crazy. And, and maybe you can buy a Frisbee and just say, hey, can the kids come out? And I'd be happy to take them out in the yard for an hour and throw the Frisbee so you can have some peace and quiet. You don't have to take them to the park. You can do it right there, just under the parent's eye, but just a practical thing to love, to serve. You see, you don't have to wait for a program to start. You can be the, the uh, minister in your neighborhood. It's more important for it to be personal rather than programmed. As we prepare to close, Today, I wanna to ask you again, what if 2020 was the year that we began to love our neighbors as Jesus has called us to? What if 2020 was the year that we no longer just talked about it? What if we began to live it out? We've got some time. You know, many of us are, are having time that we would typically be serving in church to make the, the service happen. And I'm so grateful for the guys and girls that serve every week to make church online happen that host in their homes. But there's others of us that are not greeting. There's others of us not serving in kids ministry. There's others of us not setting up and tearing down. What if you took that time and you just said, I'm going to devote that time to serving my neighbors, to love my neighbors, not just acting loving, but because God has loved me, I'm going to begin to step out and put action towards that love for other people. I believe we would experience what we set out to experience at the beginning of this year, the kingdom of God coming on earth as it is in heaven. Can I pray for you? you just bow your heads right where you're at. Maybe as you hear that today, maybe your default response is, oh my goodness, I'm already overwhelmed. I'm already, my plate is full. I'm already stressed out. Justin, now you want me to start outreach in my neighborhood? Well, I, I just want to encourage you to let the love of God fill your hearts. See, there's not a, a, a deficit of outreach. There's a deficit of love. And if we are lacking on the willingness, ultimately it shows that there's a lack of love in our hearts. And so, Father, I pray today Lord, that there would be a fresh recognition by the Holy Spirit, a fresh reminder of the gospel that, Lord, we were your enemies 
we were the ones who had offended you, God. We were the ones who were different than you. We were the ones who were the problem in the world. But God, you have loved us, demonstrated that love through Jesus. And God, I pray in every person, in every home, let there be a fresh reminder of that truth. Holy Spirit, I pray you would breathe on that, God. Let there be a grace transformation. Let grace be the power to do what we can't do in our own strength. And Father, thank you that as we begin to step out, as we begin to uh, let faith work through love, I pray, Father, that we would see a grace transformation, not only in our lives, and in our homes, but in the world that we live in. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want to encourage you as we wrap up today just to take some time. Maybe you're in your house church and you need to take a few minutes just to talk about, hey, how's it going in my neighborhood? What are the opportunities? Maybe even as a house church, there's some things in the neighborhood where you meet, where you can begin to love and serve and live on mission together. What if we began to live in 2020, even as Jesus said, loving God with all of our hearts and loving our neighbor as ourself, I believe we will experience heaven on earth. God bless you. Thanks so much for watching today. I look forward to talking to you soon.